You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 277. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You've reached another Local Maximum. Hope you enjoyed last week's episode on The Dictator of Easton. As much as I did, I always like tapping into my past creativity to see if there's anything I can revive there. And in this case, there was. So uh, if anyone uh, saw that episode, uh, I would like to hear your thoughts about it. Uh, head to the locals, maximum.locals.com, or email us, localmaxradio at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to talk today about open source software, who works on it and why, and how you can join an open source community and how exciting it really is, and not to mention some developments coming around recently. Uh, we're going to get into Web3, all that. My next guest is an open source software developer, and he is the creator of the famous Homebrew Package Manager, which if you develop on a Mac uh, like myself, you've probably been using it for years. He's also going to tell us about his latest package manager, T.XYZ, the Revenge of Web3. This guest also has a great name. Max Howell, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a pleasure. Uh, very excited to have you on the show today. Uh, let's start uh, with the idea of open source. Well, first of all, before we get into open source software, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Maybe um, maybe a little bit about your your backgrounds and and some of your earlier projects, homebrew in particular. How did you get? It, what attracted you you to open source software in the first place? Uh, yeah, so I didn't know what I was going to do with myself at school. I had many interests and I was good at quite a few of them. Um, and for some mysterious reason, I chose to do chemistry. So I went off to university to do a chemistry degree. I did a master's, in fact. I really enjoyed aspects of it. And uh, with hindsight, I realized the aspects I enjoyed were the ones that were so more similar to programming. Uh, so I went off and did a year in industry and discovered that I hated working in industry uh, for science in general. I could see it extrapolate to the whole science. And so I, I quit and fell into a lot of depressed funk where I didn't know what I was doing with my life. Well, what was it that you, what were the problems that you had with it when, when you were in, in science and industry? Um, so I really enjoyed the first three months I was in industry, you know, working with the big machines Sure. And, uh, That's what I learning. think because, yeah, because, yeah. you know, we're just typing all day. It's like, yeah, but yeah, sorry, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> yeah. I uh, many ways wish I'd picked a career that involved not sitting at a desk all day, but well, that's another mm -hmm. story. Um, so yeah, the big machines were fun. It was fun talking science, all the people. And, uh, then after three months, went home for Christmas, came back and, I realized when I got back that I would be using the same machine that I'd been using for the last three months for like the next 10 years. Hmm. And that, that was my career tra trajectory. Like there was no way that I could advance in science without like becoming um, an expert in like one very niche area of it. And it depressed me. And then I realized that everyone I was working with was like happy with like this status quo and that, that nothing really change nothing was moving very fast i wasn't going to change the world so yeah those sort of things really so yeah. uh, in my depressed funk i discovered open source and linux you'd think that um 
I, I mean, <laughs> as someone who's been in, in software for a long time, it's like you kind of imagine science as being maybe, you know, just as fast, just as innovative. But I guess no, that's, really not not. The, uh, that's not the uh, that's not the reality. Uh, well, you know, like I only did it for a year, so I'm sure that there right. are places where it can move fast. Um, certainly my impression was that it doesn't. <laughs> Yeah. Like I, I felt that way when I was at university towards the end anyway, when I was working with professors and they'd spent years working on tiny little pieces of problems. And when I like would talk to them about how this could be used in the real world, they were like, oh, I don't care about that. You know, they, they didn't care about applying. It was just the pursuit of knowledge. Yeah. But, well, you know, that, I don't want to... Yeah. It sounds interesting, the pursuit of knowledge, but I, I feel like there's, uh, you know... Uh, sometimes application is a lot harder than uh, than people give it credit for. It's almost sometimes the hardest thing. Um, but uh, so so let's 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 go with open source software. What, what attracted you to open source specifically, and how does that actually work in practice? Like maybe we could even start with like a basic like what is open source? <laughs> yeah, what is open source? I found myself asking that question a lot over the last eighteen months. Uh Open source is the desire to fix problems, but also the desire to do it with a bunch of other people. The knowledge that it requires all these other people working in different ways to improve the system. It's all about improving the system. We've built this elaborate machine that we call Unix, Linux, Windows, to some extent, it's really Linux. And over the last 25 years, we've been like building on top of every piece that we've built before. And all of us have to do this together. It's a kind of super intelligence, all of us coming together to try and build this machine that will do the things we need it to do. And there's lots of pieces to it. And there's lots of fractal offshoots that go all over the place. But all these pieces seem to come back and integrate with each other and build on top of each other and become better by being the sum of more than just their pieces. And it's addictive being part of that. Hmm. I think a lot of people who don't even realize that they like working with large groups of remote people with different agendas and different desires is actually super fun. Find this, find it to be super fun. I, I, I didn't expect to like that. <laughs> I have to say, wasn't wasn't what attracted me to it in the first place. What attracted me to the first place was like I was bored and depressed, and I'd heard about Linux, so I installed it. And then when I installed it, I discovered that it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was also super great in so many ways. I could see how I could improve it. I could see how I could get in there and. Just, you know, the bits I didn't like, I could fix it. And that was the mantra. That was all you ever read on like Slashbot, which is what I used to read back then. Like, it was 2004-ish. It's like uh, people would complain and then the immediate other, the comment immediately afterwards that was rated plus five insightful was, well, it's open source. Why don't you fix it yourself? Which, uh, you know, it's kind of like a passive, it's like the learn to code things that people yeah, were saying a few years I, ago. I, I, right, right. Like, like you don't expect anyone to actually go in and, and, and take that seriously, but but people do. Yeah, well, that, that's, it's, it's vital that some people do, right. which is, you know, kind of why I started this company, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. It's vital that some people do. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I want to get into that in a minute. But um, so, you know, when it comes to open source, I mean, I guess the, the question that I want to ask, which I, I kind of feel like you just answered, but I, I sort of want to ask it more explicitly is like, how do you know what to work on? And how do you uh, like, you know, uh, how do you know? Isn't it the same with anything when you're like trying to be like, am I solving the right problem? Or I mean, I guess in the case of Linux, were you thinking of more, okay, there's just some bug that everybody knows is a bug that everyone deals with. So, of course, uh, you know, fixing that is a good idea. Um, I guess, I, I don't know, do you have any strategy in terms of picking, you know, picking your projects? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I often say to people that getting involved with open source is the, the fastest way to, like, become this, this kind of, the, the kind of program you want to be. Like when I'm talking to people who are still like trying to figure out where they're going and how they're going to learn all the things they need to learn, it's super valuable. Like that's how I got into it, right? I didn't do a computer science degree; I did a chemistry degree, and then managed to get myself into the industry via open source because it was like a fast track. Right. There's no, no, like, uh, but well, what what would you get involved in? Uh, certainly, something that you need is completely essential. If you don't want it. Then you're not gonna do it <laughs> you know like this is part of the problem with developers with their twenty thousand side projects right is that all twenty thousand um, of them <laughs> i feel like i feel seen with that but yeah go ahead <laughs> so like, the reason none of them ever get finished is because they're not really things that that person really wanted it's a nice idea i think a lot of the time people come up with nice ideas but if you don't personally need it you're definitely not going to make it with open source now, maybe you can make a business out of it, and that's motivating because you're going to make some money. But with open source, if you don't personally need it, it's just not going to get built. Um, or it's like something that you use and it has like a bug or you can see a feature that you personally need or it's a bug that personally pisses you off. Then that's a great way to uh, get into it. But like, pick the right kinds of projects, right? Like, I think a lot of people see VS Code and see something which could be improved or has a bug because it always has a bug like they fix a bug and they make a bug it's, it's just how it works at microsoft i think and right. uh but it's have you seen that code base uh you, no one wants to go in there <laughs> it's not a good <laughs> choice it's too big it's too and uh not not really architected as much as evolved uh so you pick a pick a project that's small enough uh, probably new enough new is good because when you when you get involved with a new project they go hey do you want to get involved more because we don't have anyone who is involved more yet like with homebrew the people who turned up in the first six months were the people who were there still four years later and they were the ones that everyone was turning to and saying this is the expert in this project because they've yeah. been there since the start yeah, that almost reminds me that there's some companies that, um, you know, where, uh, you know, not every project is like this, but you're working on something that you use every day. Uh, and those are always the most fun because then it's like you don't even need to, you know, it's it's like even if it's not open source, sometimes it is. But you're like, you know, all the employees are like, oh, let me fix this. Let me fix that um, because they they know what the problems are. Um but uh, yeah, so let's let's get into the main event. What's the idea behind T.xyz? Um, <laughs> and just to give like a little adversarial question, wasn't package <laughs> management solved by with Homebrew? Uh, why do we need this new one? Yeah, it was a fair question. I haven't actually been asked that that many times. 
Well, well, so uh, Brew, I, I made Brew in 2009. Um, it was a project I needed personally, like I was just saying, right? <laughs> I was it blows my with... mind that that only existed. I mean, I guess 2009 is a long time ago now, but it is a bit uh, of a long time it, ago. I, now. I, I guess, <laughs> I guess it blows my mind that you know uh, that 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 it's not even that new or, or no. not that old. You know, I, I don't know. Well, when you start looking, well, this is a completely different conversation. Like, when, like when I was in school, it, things, it didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of these but, projects are a lot newer or a lot older yeah. than you think. And they they become indispensable over time, a period of years. Like homebrew, I'd say it took about three to four years before people consider it indispensable. And then it's been another 10 since then. Like it's yeah, uh, wow. a huge monolith at this point. But yeah, so I made it in 2009. I was challenged by a co-worker to stop moaning about this tool that I wanted to build or didn't exist and to do something about it. So I did. And uh, <laughs> it was just like that, really. I just did. One weekend, I just started programming it. And like the name was because I came up with the idea in a pub. And then, like, drinking was actually uh, kind of revered in programming at the time. This was like very early Web 2 and uh yeah so like github used to boast about how they had a tap like on their on their programmers floor like you could just pour yourself <laughs> a beer at any time you know can you imagine github like boasting about that now like <laughs> certainly not so yeah it seemed like a cool idea for a name and theme and like i built it and it was good so i open sourced it and then uh you know the rest is history really it got attention quite quickly hacker news went crazy all over it which is uh probably the first and last time they've liked anything I've ever done. I don't know, Hacker News is just like a source of toxicity, really, isn't it? How did you um, know how, how did you know that this tool was needed? Like what I, I don't even know. Like how did people do package management before then? Well there was um other package managers. There was two major ones actually for Mac. Um mm. Mac ports, which was a fairly little uh, literal port of ports from FreeBSD to Mac. And Fink um, which I don't know as much about. Yeah, uh, am neither I, of am them I were... crazy that I've never heard of these as in the <laughs> industry for however long? Well, Mac ports still exists. Um, it's, it's better than it used to be, certainly. But uh, yeah, didn't capture the imagination nearly as much as Brew. Like Brew really just exploded. Mm. So yeah, there was tools, but they weren't very good, and they they lacked the things. And what I really wanted, which which was one that was more hackable. Uh, more developer focused and well i got into open source like years before that at this point like four maybe not years i guess but, and uh, i'd done a lot of packaging because it's just necessary when you're working with linux and open source and you're trying to help other people to install your source code so i came at it from the perspective of i want it to be easier for everybody developers and users alike to get the things they want because that's the attitude I've always had with like package managers is that they're kind of an unsexy, boring tool. And what you want is for them to get out of the way so you can get on with what you really want to do, which is use some tool or app or library or framework or integrate something, get all the dependencies set up and then bugger off. That's what you want. So I came yeah. over in that perspective and it, yeah, the, uh, it was, timing was great, right? Because Mac was just becoming the choice for developers before right. that really wasn't it was a mix between windows and linux and because osx had come along and decided to be unix rather than mac os which what they called it before right it was this own custom thingy uh it attracted a lot of linux guys over and uh you know 
um it just was the the moment and i built it in ruby and ruby and rails had just become like something that was super popular so it captured a lot of uh mind share and interest and just took off but why is why why do we need another one right that's what's your question yeah isn't brew good enough and like that's the that's the thing it is good enough like i don't want to shit all over my creation too much but i haven't worked on it in yeah you know, a long time like 2015 2016 i i burned out cuz i uh did do a lot of work on it tens of thousands of hours easily um yeah wow that's and a lot. i i quit jobs regularly in order to work on it full time and then when i had a full time job i had two full time jobs cuz one was own brew it's huge yeah you know i can see that huge amount of contributions uh to manage massive community formed and i loved working on it i was very proud of it and i wanted it to succeed completely determined anyway so yeah i eventually burned out and i passed it to the community which had formed um i was part of governance until a couple of years ago still although honestly i didn't really uh participate a huge amount i felt it was done it was good enough and that's the thing it's only good enough um <laughs> There's so much more that can be done at the package manager layer, and that's what we're trying to do with T. Um, like we're splitting the uh, the tool into two. Uh, this is news. By the time this podcast comes out, it will be live. So we've got a command line interface and a graphical interface. And uh, the graphical interface is where I think a lot of the innovation will happen over the year. But the CLI itself is still awesome. We have what we call magic, which makes it so you don't even think about installing packages. You just type the commands you want and it finds them, installs them, makes it work. You know, it seems a bit archaic, really, the whole managing packages business. It's the kind of tool that uh, someone who really loves what they built forces down your throat. They're like, I, I'm so proud of this. You're going to have to think about it. You must think about how to manage your packages. How dare you even consider the idea that you shouldn't. So you don't have to anymore with T. Everything's uh, isolated developer environments. I think Docker had the right idea, right, with uh, making it so you can have little containers. But I think they had the wrong idea in that you have to spin up a whole freaking virtualized Linux instance. Uh, developing inside of Docker is a pain in the butt. So we've got containerization, yeah. like thin containers, essentially, at the development layer. And uh, yeah, scripts. Scripts are cool, but they suck because you can't get the packages. So with T, you can just get all the packages. Uh, you put a bit of YAML front matter at the beginning of your script, and then when you execute it, it just installs all the stuff. And uh, the GUI is going to be cool. I won't go into the features. We're going to roll them out this year. So it's just like there's so much more that could be done, and nobody did it. It's like package managers are stagnant. They haven't really mm. changed since the first one 25 years ago. Slackware, I think, came up with it. So uh, why do you think that is? Uh, is it because there just isn't demand for this innovation or is it, is it some problem with the fact that everyone's working for free essentially? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wondered about that. Um, certainly if I'd known how tedious packaging was going to be before I wrote Brew, I might not have done it. <laughs> There's an awful lot of frustration involved in packaging up this software, but you get good at it. And now I'm good at it again, because it took me, you know, probably 12 months to get good at it again after starting T to, uh, you know, remember all the tricks and then learn all the new ones. A lot of stuff's changed. Yeah. Um, 
so it's frustrating and it's not sexy no one really like well you know i, I get a lot of people come up to me and thank me for brew and they're, they're like you know uh they love it they say they claim at least that's what they say to my face um but really it's, it's not it's I, not react people don't right complain it's about not an app yeah <laughs> um yeah uh no no i i i I, I don't, people are not complaining about homebrew behind your back. I don't think, I, I don't hear any. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it has problems. It has problems. Although every piece addressed. of software has people complaining about it. Though. Yeah. My brew became really slow over time. Hmm. And uh, it, they sped it up a bit recently for certain operations, but it's still slow. Uh, T's five to six times faster. We've done the measurements. So. Yeah. Uh, wow. And, uh, you know, um, it's clunky brewers. It's not the same as it used to be. Um, doesn't work as well as it used to. But I, I, you know, like I, when I was more actively working on it, it was a, a simpler set, right? There was less packages in it. Sure. Um, less platform supported. So, you know, I understand. But T out the gate, we're cross-platform. We support Linux and Mac, both first class citizens. And then Windows WSL2 is, uh, you know, because it's Linux the same but we're working on the windows native version as well gotcha. you know we think that you should be able to use whatever platform you want and then the package manager you know we're, we're trying to essentially build the universal package manager so that people can be enabled to do everything they need to in the world whatever their profession gotcha gotcha what is there like um it's my understanding tell me from what's the like the web three portion of this work uh, is that something uh, that yes. you like to, you know, is there, there's a, I, I heard there was a token involved. Is that, is that true? Or, uh, oh, yes. explain, explain to me what the deal is with that. So the, the web three part is the whole reason I did this because after I stopped working on brew full time, I didn't stop taking notes about features I wanted to add to it, things I wanted it to do, but I didn't have the motivation to do it again. But like I moved on to, uh, I did a lot of iPhone apps, did a load of websites, worked at a bunch of different startups. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't even have the time. How was I going <laughs> to, was I going to spend another 10,000 hours on a project? And, uh, yeah, but I still, I still wanted the tool. And then it was when I started looking into web three stuff, like with the last bull market run. Because uh, I have, I had a friend who was always trying to get me into crypto. You know, I had a friend who was trying to get me into just about everything at one point or another. <laughs> and crypto never really appealed. Like, I think I'm a bit unique in the Web three space in that I never really saw the point until I started looking into it a little bit more carefully. Bought an NFT, sold an NFT, sold the smart contract, selling ten percent of what I sold it for to the original artist. And I had that, a moment of inspiration about it. I saw how I could use smart contracts to do the same for the open source ecosystem. And, uh, you know, like people have tried to fund open source for since its inception, really. So in the last 10, 15 years, I'd say that it became the foundation of all modern software. But before that, you know, Microsoft had quite a monopoly and a lot of stuff ran on Windows. But open source proved that it was a better value proposition and a better innovation platform. And so Windows fell aside. But in the process of that happening, all the people building open source didn't like take all that money that Microsoft were raking in. They didn't get that share. It didn't come to them. 
And so like people like me would find that they wanted to work on open source, but they couldn't figure out how to do it. That so many times I tried. I had a Patreon for a bit. I, I tried to run a blog where I posted things you could uh, subscribe to for content. Yeah. And uh, it was just not the part of what the work I wanted to do, right? I didn't want to sell myself, uh, have to market myself. And uh, so I stopped uh, both times when I, I didn't really have anything near enough to live on. It's hard work. And I, yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it's it's possible. And there are a lot of projects that, that do that, but it's, it's, it's hard work. I know people who do, and I, I talk to them about it while I was trying to do it. And uh, they would, you know, they'd spend years on it, I think, as well, is also part of the problem. But I'm not, I'm not a creator economy kind of person. I'm a, I want to build cool stuff kind of person. Everything else is uh, tedious. Hmm. Even documentation, which I know is so important, so I do a good job of it. But I only do a good job of it because I know it's vital. <laughs> Marketing myself doesn't feel vital. Right. I wonder uh, if there's anyone who really loves writing documentation Probably. Uh, I, I know one and I'm desperately trying to hire him. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Maybe I'll have a better luck of it than I ask again. Yeah. Because, you know, Web3's got a huge stigma and I found it hard to hire some of the people I know are great. And I understand why it's got such a huge stigma. There was just so many scams, so many scams, people mm. trying to get your money. Uh, but people say that what we're building is like the first time they've seen like a use for crypto that makes sense. That's a, a genuine utility. And that, that makes me feel good about it. But the, the idea, of course, is to fund open source, obviously. Um, the way we're going to do it is by building the, the package manager graph into the blockchain. So the registry, the, the information about all open source software, putting that online, then this information allows us to flow token down that dependency graph. So if token enters at the top, like for something that people actually, you know, know about and care about, like uh, an app of some kind or a top level framework, then all the dependencies all the way down to libc end up getting a little piece of that token. So it breaks off every time a little percentage all the way down. Well, so, one of the big differentiators between us and what people have tried before is like the idea of funding the whole graph, not just the tips, not just the points. Yeah. Well, so you, are you, would you be funding the whole graph because you'd be, the, the way I understand it, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you're saying like, okay, if, uh, if we're funding like the top level project, but that project uses like five other projects, then each one of those is going to get a cut and then maybe those use other projects and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cut a little cut all the way down powered by smart contracts. And the fact that you can divide the crypto into such small pieces. Hmm. Um, what? So and I hate to, this might be a question that goes nowhere, but the only thing that popped into my head was like, what if there's a circular dependency? Yeah. So uh, we've taken into account, we're using uh, Google's PageRank algorithm essentially. Um, it was always the idea that it would use something like that, but one of the, my staff pointed out that it was a natural fit, so we've been using that. And okay. PageRank has a, a mechanism for preventing circular dependencies from uh, increasing the rank exponentially. So it just works, in other words. But, you know, like, dependencies are more complicated than that. We've had to figure out, like, is a build dependency as valuable as a runtime dependency? Because, you know, if you build a, a tool that uses Rust, 
Uh, it only uses Rust when you build it. it; doesn't use it when you run it. Um, how that? So you know they're equal as far as we're concerned. But we feel that you know once the system works, it will incentivize open source in whole new ways, like allowing people to identify areas that are getting too much, more than they deserve, and seeing that that means there must be a niche there to create some kind of new library that fulfills something that's more specific or even more generalized, perhaps, you know, that'd be up to them to figure it out. So where, where does the first, like, where does the, the, the edge of the graph, where does that funding come from? Like who's going to have to pay mm -hmm. for what on the, on the end user? Yeah. So uh, we've got a proof of stake network, which pleases people who think proof of work is bad for the climate, which, you know, I don't think they're wrong about. Um, I don't think it's hugely bad, like when you compare it with things, but yeah, it's proof of stake. Um, so you, as someone who's interested in open source, will stake against the projects that you use. And TCLE or TGUI will be able to tell you what those projects are because we're integrated with your system. We know what you're using. This would be great for companies like Microsoft could just pull all the T instances uh, installed to get their entire graph like sent, uh, stated to them. Uh, so staking systems give you rewards every epoch, um, you know, like Ethereum's is, uh, what, every two days, I think. And, uh, that's, that reward will be distributed to the person who's staking and to the things they're staking against, and then it flows down. So people who are interested, who believe in the value of open source can be rewarded for that they identify projects that are worth staking, then they'll be rewarded in proportion to like that. And uh, also they'll be able to fund the open source ecosystem. There's sort of a double bonus for them. We're not going to like charge a micro payment for installing packages or anything like that, which mm -hmm. is something people often think we're going to do. But I came into this knowing that it had to be an innovation that didn't change how people fundamentally use open source currently. I could build a package manager that said every time you install Node, it's going to be 0.1 cent, uh, but it just wouldn't take off. People say they want to fund open source, but actually they don't, which is why we've uh, created the system where it's more like investing. Yeah, so it's, just, it's more like investing. So like if I stake against an open source project, like what, what incentive do I have to, to do that? Because you'll be paid stake rewards. I'll be playing Sega Reward. Okay. Uh, uh, and, and does it actually, and like, and I, and I guess it, is it somehow like, um, uh, uh, I, I guess I'm, tr I'm trying to think and, and maybe I should, um, I, it kind of makes me want to read more into this, but like, how does it actually, does it, does it fund the, the, the project itself? Like, um, does, does a portion of the staking rewards go to the developers or, or, or something like that? Yeah. So, it's a good question, um, you know, because it's complicated, right? Every open yeah. source project's different. They have different people who are active and maybe they also want to try and fund people who do pull requests and things like that. And that's another beautiful thing about building this on crypto, right? Because we're building it with uh, EVM compatible blockchain so that people can write their own smart contracts on top of that. And so we're going to encourage that. So every project will have a wallet, which is where the funds go. And we'll encourage you to be multi-sig about that but we will then insist that you form a DAO a decentralized autonomous organization for that wallet 
So you'll spin up a smart contract, we'll give you a bunch of templates. And that contract will des uh, describe how the token is distributed and who it is distributed to. So you could have one where it only goes to yourself. And uh, I'm sure some people will do that, even so though they have a project yeah. where they have multiple people working on it. Uh, but like, if you are the sole maintainer, that makes sense, right? Or you could pick one where a percentage is set aside to fund pull requests. So other participants can receive token rewards for their contributions. Or like you could fund translations. Um, there's so many options. I'm truly excited to see what people will do with it. So yeah, we're launched with a few template options suggesting you go with one of these different types and then uh, we'll see what the community, you know, because every project's different. Every project has a different situation. Do you have any specific projects that are examples that want to build off this or are building off of this currently? So um, none of the big ones I've approached have shown a great deal of interest. Um, and I'm not surprised, you know, the big ones have already figured out their funding methodology or, uh, you know, they're, they're content enough with how things are going. Something that happened a lot over the last 10, 15 years was companies would hire the people working on these projects, which, you know, it sounds like a great solution, but I think actually has been quite negative. Hmm. So, you know, you, you can get funded, to, uh, uh, you're paid to work on your project full time. But then the the company ends up like putting some of your time towards other things as they need you, or they have an agenda, right? Open source is for everybody, not just for Microsoft or Facebook or Google. And like recently, like Kubernetes is like falling apart because Google have been doing that with the staff that work on it that they hired. So yeah, so is I it, don't like is that. it that they make demands on their time, or is it that they like kind of subvert the project to their ends? Uh, it's a bit of both, right? Nothing's that nefarious. Like, I make it sound like these are villainous people. It's impossible for there not to have been some uh, consequences that end up shaping the project. Like, yeah. you know, open source is good for people see that things are bad and then they spin up fork or like there are an alternative and that just like propagates all over the place. But yeah, anyway, sure. back to your question. Uh, big projects uh, probably won't, at least initially, but the smaller ones, now I get a hell of a lot of interest from those. The ones where it is like someone's side project that turned into a bigger project, that turned into a bigger project, and they're working on it like all these hours that they don't really have, and uh, they have a full-time job. They would love to work on these projects full-time, or even like, you know, spin up a couple more open source projects and try to make three of them work for them. And I want T-Token to represent the genuine value of open source. That's just, that's what its potential is. The market cap for T-Token could be that of the entire open source ecosystem's value. And if it does become that, then it will be easy for it to fund people's salaries, right? to pay equivalent to a FANG position. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that, would, that would sound amazing. Um, do you have any, uh, uh, like, more, like, do you have any more like specific examples of anyone you've spoken to who who? So first of all, like what's the um, what's the what's the status of TXYZ? Like, can you use it today? Uh, like, are, are are certain projects on it already? Um, yeah. So the package manager's up. The CLI, as we call it, uh, it's been up since November. Um, it's getting some great feedback. It's a cool tool, worth checking out. Honestly, it's better than Brew. Like, <laughs> it, it is. 
And, well, I uh, hope it's so. Fun. If you did it the first time, I yeah. hope you learned something over the last 10 years, you know, uh, mm. <laughs> try to outdo yourself. It's a lovely thing. I really like it. Um, it's my finest work. Um, so yeah, that's getting good growth. Like by the end of the year, I reckon we'll have a million users, uh, which yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. But like, um, Brew Brew didn't have a million in a year, but you know, this time around, I got my fame, which is helping. Um, and then uh, we're launching the GUI in May, so probably by the time this podcast is up, people will be able to grab that. Uh, I think the GUI is super awesome. I, every day, I look forward to the new nightly build to see what my developers have put into it. You know, I obviously shape the goals a lot. But the uh, the protocol or the blockchain component, we're launching that later this year. So we'll have a test net up hopefully by Q4. And then uh, blockchain mainnet probably end of the year is pushing it. So probably early next year. And, uh, you know, if you have the clear or the GUI installed, then you'll be ready to use the protocol, uh, both as like, an open source developer with projects or as someone who's just interested in participating getting those stake rewards based on the value of open source software very cool very cool where uh where can people learn more about this uh and um do you have any like last like including thoughts about uh, uh about this whole discussion yeah so uh t.xyz is our uh, domain it was the only t domain i could get and i was like i want a three-letter domain uh, I actually really nice. like it with hindsight. It's got good SEO. Uh, there's no other TXYZs out there. Um, it's got all the info. You can go to the GitHub. Uh, you can install the the CLI. Um, it's, we got a one-liner bash installer like every DevTools project. Or it's a single binary download. You don't need to install it. You can just download the binary, put it wherever you want, and it will work. Because I know people hate those installers. Although ours is fine, just like everybody else's is. <laughs> like I, I did wonder for a while if there was a way to work around that, you know. But it, yeah. You, see, anyway, like the GUI makes it simpler, actually. Anyway, yeah. I'm getting off topic. No, I'd be interested to see what that looks like because it's sort of. I feel like um, it could kind of like point you in the right direction to your projects, and maybe maybe it could do things like. I mean, I, I don't know if this is a, a bad idea or a good idea, but like uh, if you had a graphical interface, it could include things like recommendations and, um, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to turn it into a whole, you know, <laughs> no, well, I think, news well, updates, a, but, <laughs> but no, like, like productivity recommendations, you know? Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a thing, you know, like I say, there's so much potential with the package manager layer. There's all this wonderful open source software. And half of it, no one's ever heard of because yeah. it, it's just so much. How do you discover that? And like the place to do it is, yeah, like some app that knows what you've installed and can recommend other pieces. So we're totally really excited about what we can do over the course of this year after we've released the, the first iteration of that. And nobody's really done this before. Like sure, people have made GUIs for package managers but it's literally just like a, a copy of the interface into the GUI with no real consideration right. for what could be done that's different. And so as a result, none of them ever uh, caught on because what's the point? It doesn't yeah. add anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just slows you down. Um, all right, well, this, this sounds really cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to check it out. The uh, The website is t.xyz. Uh, Max, thank you so much for, for being on the show. I'll give you the last word if there's anything else that, uh, that, that you want to add before we head out. 
<laughs> yeah, well, check out T and like we're always looking for people to get involved with the community. And uh, it, this is the it's a good time to do so because it's new. Like I was saying, like the, the time to get involved with open source is when the projects are new because then if you do like it, you become a vital part of that piece of software and the community that evolves. All right. Awesome. Great advice. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. And also last week's episode on the dictator of Easton. Uh, after a few weeks of, of those kinds of an epi episodes, I think I have some commentaries to get off my chest, some issues that need airing. So maybe we'll spend a few episodes uh, hearing from me and, uh, and maybe Aaron on that. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel, feel the power.